0: Our second reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 32 on page 889. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Fool, Will be subject to the Sanhedrin but whoever says you moron will be subject to hellfire so if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift there in front of the altar first go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on your way with him Or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. And I assure you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman in lust, so to lust for her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, to God.
1: Thanks John. It's good to see you. My name is Paul. If I haven't met you, please keep your, uh, the Bible open and let's Matthew 5. We're in Sermon on the Mount. Uh, John Stott described this sermon as the most famous sermon ever preached and the least applied sermon that we've ever done. I think he's right. If we actually applied Jesus' words and we did what Jesus said and we took Jesus literally, our lives would be so beautifully different. And And I use that word beautifully deliberately because this is good and this is right and this is rich. This is precious. Jesus is saying to us that we can be different. I was going to say we, we must be different, but, but that's wrong, actually. We can be different, because we must, it puts this burden on us. But Jesus is saying, you are different, and you can do this, and you can live differently, and if you do live differently, you'll have this rich, beautiful life. He started the sermon by telling us that we can be blessed, if we have this attitude where we are poor in spirit, so we recognize that we are spiritually bankrupt, we recognize that uh, we are sinners, we mourn our sin, and we, we long uh, for humility, and we long to be uh, more like Jesus, and then we can be blessed, we can find favor with God. And he's told us that we are salt and we are light, that we, we can do good things in this world and make a difference. And our theme this morning is this, I've called it radical righteousness. And it comes from verse 20, just before our reading. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying there that he longs for his children, his sons and his daughters to live these lives that are so upright and so good and so different. And if you go to the end of the sermon, he says, be perfect as your father is perfect. He said, if, if you live this way, then you'll enjoy all the benefits, all the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' day, there were really uh, three types of people. And uh, they're here in this church this morning, uh, there was one group of people that he called the legalists. Uh, the people who loved the law, who kept their list of what they had to do and what they had not to do. And they went to bed every night and they ticked the list and thought, oh, I've done that. And how good am I? And I felt smug. And Jesus called them Pharisees. And there are many Pharisees in the church. At the other end of the spectrum are the people who, they said, look, the law is good, but I'm I'm saved by grace. And I'm forgiven by God, so God doesn't really mind how I live. I can do what I want because God will forgive me, and that's his job. And he called them antinomians. And so there are some Pharisees here, and there's some some antinomians here. I think most of us I, I would put in the middle of what I, what I call the comfortably righteous. The people who who know that God's word is good and right and it's good to obey, but we, we're saved by grace. And so we want to live with that tension as long as it doesn't make too many demands on my life. So I'll obey God's word when it's relatively easy for me to obey. And so we're comfortably righteous. And the shock of verse 20 is that Jesus says, I haven't come for you to be comfortably righteous, I've come for you to be radically righteous. If you claim to love me, if you claim to be my child, if you're my disciple, then your life should be radically different. It's really important you grasp this, that doing these things, keeping the Sermon in the Mount, applying this to your life, it does not earn your salvation. I hope you've got that. Now, Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law. What he meant by that was that he kept the law perfectly because we never could. And Jesus came to say that I I paid the penalty for your lawlessness. So you can sit here this morning and you know that you're loved by God. You know you're forgiven by God. You know you're a child of God. But if you're here this morning and you know you're a child of God and you know that God is your heavenly Father, then you should want to live in a way that honors your God. It's a bit like going to a work function. Say that this Friday night you've got a work function. And you turn to this work function and you're there to represent your company. So it matters how you behave at that work function, doesn't it? If you get completely blind drunk and you're abusive and obnoxious. Now yes, your reputation is at stake. But but more than that, you're there to represent your firm. And so their reputation is at stake. That's the kind of thing happening here. Uh, You don't just... Apply the Sermon on the because it makes you look good. You apply the Sermon on the mat because you want to please your Heavenly Father. You want to honour Him. You want to show the world what it means to be a, a son of God or a daughter of God. and You want to show the world that how good God is. That is really important when we come to these passages. Keeping this sermon will not make you a Christian. But if you are a Christian... It's exciting to apply this and think this is the best way to live. This sermon this morning is not going to be comfortable, and that's okay. Jesus hits us over the head with a sledgehammer. And he begins with our heart, our attitudes. See, the Pharisees were all concerned with the externals, and Jesus said, it's not about the externals, it's about your heart. And firstly, he says, deal with your anger. Radical reconciliation, deal with your anger. Verse 21, you've heard it was said in the Ten Commandments, do not murder. And we know that's true. And what the Pharisees did was they they took that command, do not murder. And they thought, yeah, that's right. Taking another human life is always wrong. And then they thought... I've never murdered anybody. I've never killed anybody, so tick. How good am I? You know, I can do that. I can watch the news, I can read the newspaper, I can look online, I can... I I did it last week, I said to Rachel, isn't that awful? Like The whole of the news has been about violence and murder and awful people in the world. They point the finger at other people and feel good about self. And just as you're starting to do that, Jesus comes in with this right hook and says, verse 22, I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to the same judgment. And what he does there, he says, let's think about murder. Murder is not just about that action. Murder is not just a random act of abuse. Murder always starts somewhere, and murder starts right here in your heart. And so, if you're angry with somebody, then that anger turns to hatred. And that festering hatred turns to rage and to malice. And that festering malice means you want to get rid of that person, and you hate that person, and you want them dead. And then some people in the world choose to act on those feelings. But it starts here with a word called anger. And it gets worse in verse 22, not just your thoughts, but your words. Whoever says to his brother, fool or idiot or stupid, whoever says, you moron, a half-wit, blockhead, you've committed the same crime. Let me ask you, have you ever hated Anybody? You ever had ill feelings towards somebody? You ever had someone in your workplace and they make your life so miserable you think, oh, you idiot. You ever had a disagreement with somebody where you let it fester inside, and when you see that person, your temper starts to rise. You ever harbored resentment? you ever had malice or animosity towards somebody? And Jesus looks at him and says, Well, that is the root of murder. So please don't say I've never killed anyone, so how good am I? We're supposed to feel the weight of this and say, Yeah, I'm not righteous. Let's stop right now, because I, I I fear that some of us here this morning are already wanting to pull out the Pharisee card. And, and you say you're thinking something like, Yes, but you know, Jesus got angry sometimes, so anger's not always wrong. And that's right, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Now when Jesus walked into the temple and saw these people turning a house of prayer into a den of iniquity, he got rightly angry. When Jesus saw injustice, he got rightly angry. When Jesus saw the marginalized being abused, he got rightly angry. But let's be honest, I get angry because of my ego, not because of injustice. And I get angry because someone's hurt me rather than that I've... I see someone else being oppressed. So most of my anger is not righteous anger, and I'm guessing you're like me. So stop playing the Pharisee. Stop trying to justify ourselves and just say, yeah, you're right, Jesus. I've hated people. I've been bitter towards someone. My ego's been bruised. I've had unpleasant feelings and hostile resentments. I'm not radically righteous. And as soon as you realize that, you think, Okay, Lord, if first 20 is right, I can never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's when you run back to Jesus and you say, no, no, no. I don't need to do this because Jesus has already done it. Thank you, Lord, that you did it for me at Calvary. Thank you that I can't do it, but you did it. Now help me to live like my Saviour lived. Help me to be righteous in my anger. Help me to get rid of my hurts. Help me to seek reconciliation. See, Jesus says, deal with your anger. Don't let it fester. It's more than just don't be angry. It's take the positive step of reconciliation. He says in verse 23, if you're in church and you're offering your gift on the altar, you come to worship God, and now you remember your brother has something against you. Verse 24, leave your gift there, in front of the altar, and go, and be reconciled, and then come and worship your God. It's a picture where you're sitting here this morning, listening to this sermon, and suddenly you realize that there's somebody in this very room this morning that you hate, or you're out of relationship with. He says, get rid of the sham. Pursue the reconciliation. As far as it's possible, it depends on you. I remember a couple, uh, about three years ago, and you, you're not here this morning, so that's okay. And they hadn't been at church for a few weeks, and I picked up the phone to say, are you okay? And they said, oh, we, we were coming to church last Sunday, and we were driving around in the car, not looking for... A parking spot we had a blazing row and we were fighting and my wife said to me we can't do this we can't just walk into church and pretend that everything is okay and put on a happy face and so we went to a coffee shop and we just spent time being reconciled with each other Now I don't normally advocate missing church but that's a good thing to do isn't it don't go through the pretense Not just with your spouse, but with people in church. Pursue reconciliation. Do it quickly, verse 25. As soon as possible. As soon as you realize attention, try and sort it out. Otherwise it festers and it poisons you. You may need professional help here. You may need to take time for the temperature to drop a bit, but be committed to making peace. Always speak well of others. Always think kind thoughts about the person who's offended you. Always see the good in the other people. That will help you not to be angry. See, anger has no place in a child of God, does it? So who do you need to be be reconciled with this morning? Who are you angry with? So deal with your anger and then get rid of lust. So if you claim to be a child of God, if you claim to be a son or daughter of God, you're called to radical purity. Verse 27, you've heard it was said, do not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. And I'm assuming we all agree here this morning that adultery is is awful, it's hurtful, it's Painful. Uh, Chuck Swindle said if he heard of one more pastor who had fallen because of adultery, he would be physically sick. And he's right. Immorality is so painful and hurtful. I was talking to somebody this, this week. Talking about somebody who's fallen into adultery. And they said, oh, I met with him. And he said, I, I just can't believe it was me. Now the problem is that our society almost elevates adultery as normal. Remember this scandal a couple of years ago with the Ashley Madison website, and their slogan is "Life is short: Have an affair." and you might be shocked by the slogan you're even more to shocked that a few years ago they exposed thirty million members of that website and the shock is that business that business is now back in business I was at uh, Chatswood Chase a few weeks ago with my boys and we walked past this new lingerie shop and the display in the window was so explicit I thought what hope is there for our boys growing up in this kind of world and at the same time, the music being played in Chatswood with Chase was all celebrating, the pop song was celebrating infidelity, almost normalizing it. Then we came home and we got our computer with Net Nanny on everything and Sam was complaining about all his apps are being blocked because of sexually explicit material. <laughs> it's almost like our world is desensitized. So as Christians, how do you deal with that commandment, do not commit adultery? I fear we do what the Pharisees did. We debate what that word adultery really means. Let's debate that word adultery. Now, is it just extramarital sex? Well, tick, I haven't done that one. Is it premarital sex? Well, tick, I haven't done that one. And so we're so desperate to tick the box and say, well, I'm okay. And we feel smug again, like the Pharisees did. Then Jesus comes in with his left hook in verse 28 and says, I tell you, everyone who looks at a a woman or a man to lust after her or him has already committed adultery in his heart. See what the law does? The law is not about the externals. The law is to do with our hearts and our minds and what we think about and what we look at. Because just as murder started in the heart with anger, so adultery starts in the heart with lust. He says you see someone and you notice they're attractive and that's okay. It's okay to find someone attractive. What's not okay is when you let your imagination start to run wild and you start to undress them and fantasize about them. I love this story. While my wife and I were shopping at a mall kiosk, a shapely young woman in a short, form-fitting dress strolled by and my eyes followed her. Without looking up from the item my wife was examining, she asked me, well, was that worth the trouble you're now in? (laughs) And she's right. Because that lingering glance leads to all kinds of troubles. I remember King David walking on his rooftop and he saw the beautiful woman and he let his eyes linger a bit too long And led to all kinds of troubles. John Piper said, lust is a sexual desire minus holiness and honor. And I like that, it's a sexual desire, a natural sexual desire that is right and good, but without holiness and without honor towards the other person and without honor towards God, it is wrong. Joshua Harris said, lust is craving sexually for what God has forbidden. To lust is to want what you don't have and were never meant to have. It goes beyond attraction or appreciation of beauty or a healthy desire for sex. To lust is to want what you don't have and were not meant to have. That is helpful. It's not lust to be attracted, it becomes lust when you start to undress them with your eyes. It's not lust to say that person is good looking, it becomes lust when you flirt or you fantasize. Now see how radical Jesus' words are, and how difficult they are, because sex is everywhere read this article this week by a Christian man, I'm just going to face it, he says, I can't go to the beach, I can't walk to my workplace, I can't turn on TV, I, I dare to have internet in my home, I can't listen to any pop songs because sex is everywhere. And he's right. So how do you avoid it? I could talk about, you know, know your triggers that 's the right thing to talk about you know we 've all got different triggers because we are wired differently for some people. The triggers is the time of day it 's harder late at night or early in the morning or when you 're tired or when you're day off and I could talk about the locations the places that you visit or the the p- things that you watch or the the things that you read or the music you listen to and I could talk about when you go on your business trips where nobody knows you and the temptation's there and i could talk about seasons in your marriages where you, you, things are, are not great or you're tired all the time and I could talk about the internet because that is, that is awful in terms of the porn that's streaming into our homes I could talk about the triggers but the problem with that is that it just becomes more rules and it's just legalism again, you tick the box where well I haven't gone there and I haven't turned the TV and And Jesus doesn't talk about rules. He talks about relationships. The best way to get rid of your lust is to appreciate who you are as a child of God and to love Jesus more. And say, I want to honor my heavenly Father and I want to show the world I am a child of God. And and Jesus' solution is quite radical in verse 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin... Douge it out and throw it away. Don't let your lingering eye cause you to, to lose your salvation and end up in hell. He said, if, if looks are the issue, then behave in this world as though your eyes have been taken out. He said if your right hand is the issue, is the things that you do or the place that you go, uh, then don't go there and don't do it. Get rid of it. And do you notice the word your in verses twenty-eight, so 29 and 30? Uh, again, please don't look at other people and say that's their problem. If your right eye causes you to sin, verse 30, if your right hand causes you to sin, learn to control your lust. Please don't take this literally. In the early church, they took this literally. And so, like Oregon actually... Castrated himself. That's why at the Council of Nicaea they forbid castration because of these verses. He's not saying take it literally, but he's saying know what you battle with and take radical action to stop it. Now, one thing I found very helpful in this area is just to have certain memory verses. You know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says avoid sexual immorality and then keep. Saying that to myself, you know, the word avoid means that you you don't go anywhere near it. You take the long route around it. One one Corinthians chapter six uses the word flee, flee immorality. It's the idea of remember Joseph fleeing and running away. Ephesians four, not even a hint of immorality. All the positive, you know, Philippians four, whatever is beautiful, whatever's right, think about those things. And I could talk about, read the book like Joshua Harris is Not Even a Hint. It's a great book, and you could do that. I could say, put covenant eyes on your computers. That's a great thing to do. All those things are very helpful, but again, you fight it best by loving Jesus more. C.S. Lewis says, the lust is not about desiring too much, it's about desiring too little having too little desire for your God. And again, John Piper said it better than I can. He says, we must fight fire with fire. The fire of lust's pleasures must be fought with the fire of God's pleasures. If we try to fight the fire of lust with prohibitions and threats alone, even with the terrible warnings of Jesus Christ, we will always fail. But we must fight it with a massive promise of superior happiness we must swallow up the little flickers of lust pleasures in the conflagration of holy satisfaction. What are you saying is, is just delight in Jesus and see how wonderful Jesus is. That's the best way to fight. So love Jesus well and honor your relationships. That's the link to verse 31. We start to talk about marriage and divorce. Now please don't idolize marriage. Please don't think that marriage is the be all and end all. Never think, you know, if I'm not married then I'm missing out or I'm never fulfilled, I'm half a person. Don't idolize marriage, but if you are married, please honor your marriages. And all of us, please respect other people's marriages. Now Jesus talks about divorce in verses 31 and 32. And I'm aware that's a very complex and emotional topic. This is not all the Bible has to say on that topic. And I'm aware as soon as I say the word divorce, some people here are touched emotionally at their deepest possible level. And I'm aware of the pain that many of you have suffered at the, that word divorce. I've heard many of your stories and I'm you know, deeply sorry for the hurt that you've gone through. I don't want to be insensitive, I don't want to be glib. But in these verses, Jesus is saying, uphold marriage as a beautiful thing, and don't treat it lightly. Verse 31 says, it was said, whoever divorces his wife must give her written notice of divorce. They're quoting from Deuteronomy 24. And the context there is it says if a man finds uncleanness in his wife and gives her a divorce certificate. And what the Pharisees did was they became legalists and said, well, well, what does that word unclean mean? And this is literally what they said. If my wife burns my dinner, I can... Ask for a divorce if my wife looks plain. I can ask for a divorce if my wife doesn't make me laugh anymore. I can ask for a divorce if my wife wears her hair down. I can ask for a divorce if my wife talks to a man on the street. I can ask for a divorce, or if she doesn't satisfy me anymore, I can ask for a divorce. And they came with all these list of rules that this is a ground for the divorce and this is a ground for the divorce, and they're just treating marriage lightly. And I think our world treats marriage lightly. In the last three years I've been invited to two divorce parties. I find that really odd to celebrate a divorce. You can now buy divorce rings to celebrate your status as a divorcee. Now Jesus takes marriage seriously. He says in verse, 20, verse 32, if you have been the victim of sexual immorality, if, if adultery has been committed, then you're not bound, you are permitted to divorce. Not commanded, but permitted. I've learned as a pastor that always listen, never assume, always listen to the facts, and the feelings. Never judge. I like to share some amazingly beautiful stories of marriages that have been reconciled by God's grace, and equally share stories of people who've been deeply, deeply hurt, where there is no reconciliation. Now, please don't mishear me. Uh, there are lots of reasons for separation. Uh, if you are the victim of domestic violence, and do not sit under the same roof as that person, if you are emotionally abused or verbally abused, don't stand under that same roof. You know, protect yourself. But try and uphold marriage, and try and pursue whatever is possible. My my point is here that is that Jesus loves relationships and he wants his children, his sons and his daughters to work hard at their lust and to work hard at their marriages. That's what I'm saying this morning. And if we did that, we'd be radically different from the world. So deal with your anger and deal with your lust. And we do that not so that we can sit here and we can say look at me. How good I am. And church by the bridge is full of those good people. It's not, is it? I will grapple with anger every day, and so will you. And I'll grapple with lust every day, and so will you. (laughs) But we know that we are children of God, and we know that we've got the Spirit at work in us, and we know that God can change us. But until the day I get to glory and meet Him face to face, this will be a daily struggle for me. And that's the joy of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus is not saying, do this and you'll get to heaven. He says, your Saviour's done it. And this is really the best way to live. So keep striving and keep working hard at these things. What I thought we'd do this morning is focus on our hearts. Focus on our attitudes and our thoughts. Not just the actions, but our hearts. Some of you give a moment by yourself just to to confess the way that you have had negative thoughts about somebody. Confess the way that you have wanted someone out of your life. Or confess the bitterness within you. Or confess the way that you've acted or looked inappropriately towards somebody. And then we're actually going to say the Ten Commandments together, not as a law, as a heart attitude. So, a moment by yourself. the screen i read the commandment and you respond I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery you shall have no other gods besides me Lord have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law do not make any idol for yourself you shall not bow down to them or serve them Lord, have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Lord, have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all you have to do. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Lord, have mercy on us incline our hearts to keep this law honor your father and your mother lord have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law do not murder lord have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law do not commit adultery lord have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law Do not steal. Lord, have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Lord, have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Do not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Lord, have mercy on us and write your commandments in our hearts by your Holy Spirit.